Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. So, um, seven years ago, I moved here to the Bay Area from Central Florida. And uh, I was actually born there about 21 years ago tomorrow, because tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> and uh, I was born in a small hospital in a small town called Eustis. And it was, um, well, it, it's a small town. So to give you a little perspective as to how small it actually is, um, South San Francisco's population right now is at about 70,000 people. And Eustis is at about 20,000. <laughs> So when I first heard that we were moving to California, I was really sad, actually. I kind of got mad at my parents for, like, telling me that because I didn't want to leave Florida. So um, I remember thinking that it was going to be the hardest thing that I would have ever had to do in my life, but obviously I was only 14 at the time, so I didn't really have to do anything hard. (laughs) Um, At the time, Florida was my life. I actually had all my friends there, obviously, because I grew up there. Um, I already knew what high school I was going to, and I, have a, I had a church that I've been going to my entire life. And it turned out I was moving to a place that was more than three times the size. And it was a place where I knew absolutely no one. And I would be going to a brand new church and a brand new school. And I would have to make new friends. And obviously, um, coming from a small town, that wasn't really my strong suit. And it, even though I've been here for about seven years, it still isn't my strong suit. <laughs> So fast forward to my first day of school. Um, Me and my family were living in San Bruno at the time, and it's a long drive from San Bruno to Mountain View, where my high school was. So I ended up having to take the Caltrain, which was a 40-minute ride from Millbrae to Mountain View. And um, that morning, my dad was driving me to the train station. And actually, we arrived there, and I sat in the car for as long as I could because I didn't want to have to go and buy my ticket and accept that I was going to school in California. But um, I remember we were just sitting there, and then we looked over at the platform, and we saw a couple guys there, and my dad was like, hey, don't you know those guys? And I was like, um, I kind of know them. I know who they are, but I didn't know, I didn't know them personally. I'd never met them before. But um, he looked at me, he said, you know, son, one of these days, those kids over there are going to be some of your closest friends. And I looked at him, and I was like, I mean, I guess. And I just thought, I thought he was just saying some stuff that dads say before uh, their kid goes to high school for the first time. And, well, I remember this moment so well, not because it was my first day of high school or I was taking public transportation for the first time. It was because my dad was right. And don't get me wrong, my dad's right a lot, which I've found out over the past few years. But there was just something about this, this moment in time that was so important to me. Because those guys that I saw on that platform seven years ago, I can say today are some of my closest friends. And, well, I think what he meant by telling me this was that he knows that everything right now may seem uncertain or scary or, you know, just because, you know, it's high school. And, but he knew that everything was going to be okay. And I think that's what, that's what he was trying to tell me. So... Somehow, he knew that I was going to make friends, surprise. Um, He knew that I was going to enjoy high school. And 
I don't know how he knew, but he just knew. Now, this movie that we just saw the video of, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, I think the reason that I like the movie so much and the reason that I've watched it so many times is because I can relate to it so well. See, Walter Mitty worked for a magazine company that used to um, sell magazines. They don't anymore because they went out of business. Um, they were based out of New York, and that magazine was called Life Magazine. And he was comfortable where he was. He was comfortable with his job. So he was in his comfort zone. But in the middle of the movie, he has this moment where he realizes that he has to take a step into the unknown. He has to take a leap of faith. And he has to face the uncertainty of the future. Otherwise, his life would never change. It would just stay the same. And there's nothing fun about nothing changing. So, so finally, one day he says, you know what? I'm going to take that step. And I'm going to take that leap. And I'm going to face the uncertainty of the future. Now, there are a lot of scary things about the future because we don't know what's going to happen. There's a reason it's called the future. There's no way for us to know exactly what's going to happen anywhere from a minute from now to five years from now. So it's, even when we're 99% sure that something's going to happen, there's always that small chance that things can take an unexpected turn. And it's something that all of us face on a day-to-day -day basis. It doesn't have to be a big decision like my parents are facing, like moving from Central Florida to California. It can be something maybe a little smaller than that, like in school, should I follow this career or that one? Or at work, should I take a chance to move forward in my job? Or should I stay in this place where I'm comfortable with what I'm doing and able to get by with what I'm making? Or even our relationships with other people. Should I tell her that I like her? <laughs> what if she tells me she just wants to be friends? What if I end up losing a friend? And I can tell you from personal experience that these questions have very unpredictable answers. <laughs> See, there are so many decisions that we face every day. It can be little things that may have small impacts on our lives, or they can be bigger things that have huge impacts on our lives. But there's no way for us to know for sure. So we hesitate, and we overthink, we worry, and we get scared because we're afraid of the uncertainty and the unpredictability of the future. Now, as Christians, we're not supposed to be worried about the future, right? At least that's what I was told. You know, growing up in the church, my dad was a pastor. Um, growing up in a church school, I always heard pastors, teachers, and even other parents telling me that I didn't need to worry about the future because God will take care of me. But sometimes, when we're facing something unknown, it feels scary, and it feels like we're alone, and it feels like God isn't there. And one of the great things about the Bible is that it is full of stories of people who are just like you and me. It's about people who are worried about their future and people who are worried about if they can trust God or not. So today we're going to look at someone who had to make a pretty big decision, and it was going to force them way out of their comfort zone. And this person's name was Joshua. To give you a little backstory of what was going on at the time, Moses... Moses had freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And they had been wandering in the desert, waiting for Moses to lead them to the land that God had promised their ancestors. So we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 31, and we're going to start with verse 1. It says, When Moses had finished giving these instructions to all the people of Israel, he said, and it pauses right there, um, when it says that Moses spoke to all of Israel, 
It's not referring to the land of Israel. So he wasn't standing in the middle of Israel and everybody from hundreds of miles away could hear him talking. But he was talking to the people of Israel, the Israelites, because they were gathered around him. They wanted to hear what he was saying. So like I said before, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt. And after about 400 years, God was able to use Moses to free them from Pharaoh. And because God was able to use Moses to free them, the Israelites had developed a deep and trustworthy relationship with, God, with Moses. You see, Moses had been leading them through the desert for 40 years. And I want you to really think about this. He was leading them through the desert for 40 years. Now, 40 years is a long time, right? That means that he had to provide them with food, water, shelter, and even protection. And for many of the Israelites, Moses was the only leader that they had ever known. It goes on in verse 2, and Moses says, I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. And it's weird because it's, it's not because Moses is too weak or too old, and it says he's 120 years old. I mean, when my dad turned 50, I thought he was getting old already. But I guess uh, he's not that old compared to Moses. Um, Moses can no longer be the one to lead the Israelites because God had told him not to. God explicitly told him that he's not to cross the river. And it's because God saved this task for someone else. He saved it for someone who was unknown and untested and someone who had never led before. And that someone was Joshua. Now at this time, Joshua, at least in the Bible, it says that Joshua was young. when He was only 70 years old. So I guess 50 really isn't that old. <laughs> Um, Joshua was significantly younger than Moses in both age and experience. So can you imagine what the Israelites were thinking at this time? You know, you're out in the wilderness. You don't know what enemies are behind you. If anybody's chasing you, trying to kill you, you don't know what's up ahead of you. And the man that led you out of slavery, the man that led you as you escaped the Egyptian armies, and the man that led you as you walked across the Red Sea, the man that stood in the presence of God himself, Think about that. He, he was standing. He wasn't kneeling. He was standing in the presence of God. He led you and your family through the wilderness for 40 years. And he gets up on this mountain and says that he cannot lead you across a river, a small river. The Jordan River isn't really that wide. He, lead, he can't lead you across a river because God said he can't. And now you have to put your trust in someone that you barely know to lead you to the promised land where you've been waiting to go to for 40 years. Well, verse 3 goes on to say, But the Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy the nations living there. In this verse, Moses is speaking directly to the Israelites and telling them not to worry about crossing the Jordan because God, the, the, not the person, God who promised them that they were going to receive this land is going to cross over the Jordan before they do. So do you realize what Moses is saying? Moses knows that the people are scared. He knows that they're worried. And he knows that they don't know who Joshua is. They don't even know if he's like a good guy or anything. But he knows that they don't understand why he can't be the one to cross over the Jordan. So he wants to tell them something that, they, that he's always known. And it's something that the Israelites themselves should have always known. But they needed to be reminded. He was telling them, hey, you don't need to worry if Joshua is the one leading you across the river, for the same reason you didn't need to worry when I was the one leading you across the river, because 
no matter where God leads us, God will always go ahead of us. In verse 4, Moses reminds the Israelites of what God had done for them before. It says, The Lord will destroy the nations living in the land, just as he destroyed Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites. Now, when Moses says that he destroyed the nations, he will destroy the nations, it means that God is going to prepare the way for them. He's going to prepare the people there to be overthrown by the armies that Joshua was going to take across the river. Now, in the book before Deuteronomy, the book of Numbers, it describes a situation where the Israelites had to pass through the land of the Amorites. And the first king that they encountered was King Sihon. And out of respect of, you know, he's, Moses is trying to just simply pass through their land. And out of respect for King Sihon, he goes to him and he says to him that they will not take any of their wheat from their, any of their fields. And he will not take any water from any of their wells. But King Sihon still refused to let him pass. And in fact, King Sihon gathered his army, marched into the wilderness, and tried to kill the Israelites. Now the Israelites ended up defeating King Sihon's army. And then they actually occupied their land for some time. But not much farther down the road, the same thing happened when they saw King Og of Bashan. They met King Og, gathered his army just like King Sihon did. He marched into the wilderness and tried to kill the Israelites. But God said to Moses, do the same thing, do the same thing to them as you did to King Sihon. So when Moses says that just as he destroyed Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, he's reminding the Israelites of times in the past where God had followed through with what he was saying. He was saying, guys, listen, we trusted God before and he followed through. So he's going to keep his word just like he did before. Moses goes on in verse 5 and says, The Lord will hand over to you the people who live there, and you must deal with them as I have commanded you. See, Moses wants to increase the Israelites' confidence in Joshua by reminding them that they can still be confident in God. Now, verse 6 says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Now, me and my family recently moved from East Palo Alto, which is probably about 40 minutes from here on a good day. And um, we moved to Daly City. And so growing up, I heard my dad telling me a lot of, well, telling not just me, just my family, a lot of stories about how thick the fog was in Daly City. But, I mean, you can never really understand how thick it is until you actually live in it. And one of the things I've noticed about the fog is that it's hard to drive in it, obviously because you can't see. So a couple of weeks ago, my dad was driving me to the airport. And on this, this early in the morning, it was at 4.30 in the morning, and this early, the fog is really thick because the sun hasn't had a chance to, you know, like burn it off and make it so it's sunny outside. So um, we were on Skyline Boulevard, and it was really foggy. Like, I could probably only see from where I'm standing to, like, the back of the room. That was probably the farthest. But um, we were on Skyline Boulevard, and when we were driving, it was at about probably five minutes into our drive, we started to come up behind another car. And I was thinking to myself, I'm wondering to myself, why is my dad driving behind this car when it's foggy outside? So I asked him, and he told me. He said, the best way to cut through the fog is to drive behind someone else. Obviously not too close to, like, if they see something, hit their brakes, you crash into them, but not that close. 
But um, when you're behind someone else and you see that they're going ahead of you, all you need to do is keep your eyes on their taillights and follow them. Because you know that if they're moving forward, it's safe for you to move forward, right? You see, that's what it's like when God goes ahead of us. You still don't know what's up ahead, but as long as you keep your eyes on God and as long as you follow him, you're safe. That's what Moses was trying to tell the Israelites. Now, to me, this is one of the most important verses of this passage, and it's because Moses is telling them that God himself was going before them. He was going to make sure that everything was going to be ready for their arrival. He's reminding the Israelites that God has been and God will be with them. So after he speaks to the Israelites and encourages them to have faith in God, Moses turns to Joshua. Now I want you to put yourself in Joshua's shoes for a second. Imagine that your boss calls an emergency meeting, and you know, everybody that's working, they stop what they're doing, and they go inside the conference room for this emergency meeting. So he goes up to the front and he says, hey guys, I know we've been working on this big project, and you know, our jobs and the company hang in the balance, and I know that I've been in charge for the past few months, but I'm actually going to have to resign. Then he looks at you and calls you up and says that you're going to be his replacement. Can you imagine the amount of pressure that you'd be in at that point? All of their jobs and the company hangs in the balance of how well you perform at your job. You see, this is what Joshua was experiencing, except instead of their jobs, it was the Israelites' lives that were at stake. You know, I think that Moses knows exactly how much pressure that Joshua is under at this point because Moses had gone through a very similar thing when God first called upon him. In the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, Moses was called upon by God to go into Egypt and free the Israelites from slavery. So God told Moses that his wooden staff would do God's wonders. So can you imagine the amount of faith that Moses had to have in God? to march into Egypt, go to Pharaoh himself, and not ask, but demand that he release the slaves. And the only weapon that he had against Pharaoh and Pharaoh's armies was a wooden stick. Imagine how much faith that Moses had to have in God to know that when he put his stick on the ground or in the water, that the Nile River would be filled with blood. You see, Moses knew from firsthand experience that God is and always will be by Joshua's side. It goes on in verse 7 and says, Then Moses called for Joshua, and as all Israel watched, he said to him, Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to the ancestors that they would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. I think this is important too because Moses didn't, you know, find Joshua on a random day and pull him into a kitten, like the back of a cave or something, and tell him this. He didn't attach a little note to a bird and send it over to Moses. And he didn't, you know, send a messenger on horseback to Moses either. He said all of this right in front of all the Israelites so that they could see how confident that Moses was in Joshua. You see, Moses told Joshua not to worry because God promised this land to the people already. No matter what, they were going to receive this land because God had promised it. Joshua's job was to lead them across the river, take the land, and divide it evenly amongst the Israelites. It goes on in verse 8 to say, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. 
See, Moses repeated what he was saying to the Israelites in verse 6, except this time he was talking to Joshua. And in the Bible, they only repeated something when they really wanted to make sure that people understood it. He said it twice, not only so that the Israelites and Joshua would understand, but that they would remember it. Because wherever we go, God goes before us. And here's the great thing about this verse. Just like he was saying to the Israelites thousands of years ago, God is saying the same exact thing to you and me today. Now, I want you to think of a time where you had to make a decision, a pretty tough one. And it might have been in the past few days, the past few weeks, the past few months, or even the past few years. But think of a tough decision that you had to make that would have had a big impact on your life. Now, on one side, you could stay in your comfort zone. You could stay in your comfort zone, and things would stay pretty much the same. You were able to get by on what you were making, but there would be no chances for promotions or for you to get ahead. Now, there might be a few minor unforeseen things that may come along, but for the most part, it was the pretty safe decision. On the other side, the other path had the potential to yield a high reward, but it required you to take a leap of faith. It would require you to step out of your comfort zone and do things that you're not accustomed to doing. Now, things on this path may seem very uncertain because a number of things could go wrong. This is uncharted territory for you because, you know, you don't know what's, gonna, what's up ahead. And you might be scared of the future because it's unpredictable. Maybe you're afraid that no matter how hard you try, you'll be the one to fail. This is something that people have been dealing with since the beginning of time. And I think it's funny because... You know, just like that movie, we love to watch and hear about stories about people who are just like you and me, normal people, that think about the same things that we do. And they were able to take that leap of faith, and then several years down the road, they were successful. But the thought that we could be the ones to fail, well, that thought is like a weed. We don't want it in our heads, and we don't think about it, but it's just there. Now, one thing that all success stories have in common is a person who is willing to take a risk, a person who is willing to take a step out of their comfort zone. And can you imagine someone like Steve Jobs if he was afraid to take a risk? Where would Apple be as a company right now? I can tell you they probably wouldn't be one of the only companies to be worth $1 trillion. I mean, in 1997, they were about to go bankrupt because their stocks were selling for less than a dollar. What if Thomas Edison gave up? Would we have light bulbs today? We all know the story about Thomas Edison, how he tried a thousand times to make a light bulb and he failed until he finally found the right way. And then after that, he famously said, I did not fail 1,000 times. Instead, I found 1,000 ways not to make a light bulb. <laughs> think about that. He tried 1,000 times. I think after the 100th time, I would have been like, okay, I guess candles are okay. But he kept trying and trying until 1,000 tries later, he finally found a way to make the light bulb work. You see, Joshua didn't know what was in the store for him in the future, but he knew that God knew, and he trusted that God knew. Joshua put his faith in God, and because of that, the Israelites were able to put their faith in Joshua. In the book called Joshua, because it's a story about Joshua, Joshua went to the Israelites and he asked them to have faith in him, to trust him, to lead them. And in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says, They answered Joshua, We will do whatever you command us, and we will go wherever you send us. And may the Lord your God, we will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. And may the Lord your God be with you 
as he was with Moses. See, the Israelites finally trusted Joshua because Joshua trusted God. Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan and into the Promised Land. He took the risk. He took the leap with confidence, knowing that God was not only by his side, but walking ahead of him. Joshua realized something that is just as true for you and me today. Everywhere you're going to go, God has already been. You know, many times I think to myself, how would my life be different if I was more confident in God? If I had that same confidence in God that Joshua had? How different would my life be if every time I was deciding between taking a step into the unknown or playing it safe, that I knew that God had already prepared the way? You know, my life might not be too different, but I know that inside I would be. Looking back at that move from Florida to California, I can say today that it was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me. I wouldn't know all of you. I wouldn't be standing up here on this stage talking to you right now if it wasn't for that move. God was with me then, and he's with me now. And because of that, I know that he'll, be, he'll continue to be with me in the future. Now, of course, I'm still going to worry, and I'm still going to get scared. And definitely, I'm definitely going to still make the wrong decision. But I do know that God will be with me. Now think about this. How different would your life be if you knew that God was walking ahead of you and preparing the way? Where would you be in your career? Where would you be in your relationships? How different would the direction of your family be? Can you imagine how our lives might be different if we had that same confidence in God and we knew that he was walking ahead of us? How would our lives be different today if we made decisions knowing that no matter what path we chose, God had already prepared the way? So today, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge us to stop imagining and start doing. Ask God for guidance and ask God for wisdom because ultimately, we can't do anything without God. Then I want you to take that leap of faith. Take that step into the unknown, into the uncertainty of the future knowing that God isn't only walking beside you, but he's walking in front of you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.